A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is... To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Night Call, a production of iHeartRadio. It's 2.35 a.m. in the abyss, and you're listening to Night Call. Tale of a spooky fridge, and it turns out that uh, that getting trapped in fridges, which was uh, something we were all freaked out about uh, at one time or another, <laughs> uh, is a shared phobia, and also a subject of a uh, a very special episode of a television show. Yeah, we got a night call that explains perhaps why <laughs> so many people are afraid of being trapped in a fridge. So this is this email comes from our friend Evan, and he writes, "Dear Night Call." I was very surprised when, during your recent discussion of kids getting trapped inside abandoned refrigerators, no one mentioned the very special episode of Punky Brewster, where this happens to Punky's friend Cherry. Maybe you guys are too young? I remember watching this when it aired in 1986 and being completely traumatized, which I suppose was the point. I never tried to hide in any abandoned refrigerators after that. 
I'm guessing I won't be the only person to write in about this. My wife, who's the same age as I am, immediately knew what I was talking about when I mentioned it. Actually, all I said to her was, on night call, they talked about getting trapped in an abandoned refrigerator, and her response was, like in Punky Brewster? But for whatever (laughs) it's worth, I wanted to bring it to your collective attention. You can watch it here if you dare, and there's even an oral history of the episode online with links. While we're on the subject, can any of you recall very special episodes of sitcoms from your childhoods that scarred you emotionally? All the best from Los Feliz, Evan. Wow, what a great night call. Such yeah. a good night call. Thank you, Evan. Punky Brewster was before my time. I was too young for Punky Brewster. It was also before my time. I yeah, did not we were too. Get I was three. Yeah. Some of these shows, you know, would be in syndication and you would see them anyway. But Punky Brewster, I did not ever encounter. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I, I was familiar with like Pippi Longstocking. Like there was some weird badly dubbed version of Pippi, Pippi Longstocking that I definitely watched. Oh, I the watched Swedish all the... movie? That's a good, yeah. a good weird... Which feels like kind of similar Well, Spunky Orphans. The thing that I was thinking about was Small Wonder. I was trying to explain... Oh, yeah. I was trying to explain Small Wonder to someone who's never seen it before yesterday. It's hard to do. I feel like I only know about Small Wonder from I Love the 80s. Well... Like, <laughs> there was a crop of like ET inspired shows such as Small Wonder and uh, Alf. Out of This World also. Oh, Out of This World I watched a lot of. Just a lot of like and Elf. They're kind of like yeah. magical girl shows actually now that yeah. I think about it. Small Wonder you're a robot. Uh Out of This World your dad is an alien who communicates with you through a crystal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so listen, I looked at the mental floss link that Evan sent and it is actually it made me look at Punky Brewster very deeply. Is she an orphan? <laughs> so here's me- the mental floss um, kind of summary, which is re- part of like the oral history of this particular episode. Said the story of an of an eight year old orphan abandoned by her mother and found by a cantankerous old apartment manager. Punky Brewster was not conventional network television fare. Paired with silver spoons in the fall of 1984, it was created to help satisfy a Federal Communications Commission mandate that early evening programming be either news-oriented, 60 minutes, or somewhat educational. As a result, Punky's adventures often involved the perils of sleeping pill addiction, missing kids on milk cartons, child molestation, or a rampaging serial killer. Wow. Barney, this was not... I feel like we missed the golden age of very special episodes. And uh, I don't know about I, that. Well, yeah. to me, it feels like there was a period that everybody is familiar with in the 80s where there were just what was so weird, the too many cooks era of where somebody might have a sleeping pill addiction one week on a sitcom that otherwise would never be that serious. Okay, yeah. you guys look like you have answers. I do. Oh, I yeah. do. I had to look it up to just get reminded of it. Um Punky Brewster was before my time. I was right on schedule for Full House. Mm-hmm. Oh. Like consumed every single episode of Same. Full House. <laughs> um, this is our micro generation. Yes. Yeah. You guys remember Marla Sokoloff? Like yes. the bad girl of this era? Oh, yeah. Because she was... Um, she was Gia. Oh my god! What if we have the same episode? Do we? It's Let's... the it's the smoking one. Okay. It's the full house smoking one. Is that one. what you both had? It was what I was going to put. Yeah. And then I was like, but that wasn't traumatizing, and I thought of a more traumatizing one. Oh man. Well, tell us, Emily. Tell us about this well, one because I don't really remember it. This is um, so Gia. So this is sort of late because it's when Stephanie is like a preteen or oh, like yeah. a teen, and so Gia is like the bad girl at school, and there's the and she's like smoking in the bathroom in one scene. And I'm sure if I went back and watched it now, it would be like so 
There, there's also a Ghostbuster, or not Ghostbuster, Ghost Rider <laughs> episode um, where there was smoking involved or or some kind of study pills or something. I can't remember. Um, but it kind of had a similar vibe where there's like you find out something. It always takes place in the girl's bathroom. Mm-hmm. Like you find out something really troubling, like somebody's growing up faster than you <laughs> in the girl's bathroom. I found out a lot of stuff in the girl's bathroom circa <sighs> fifth and sixth grade, so I completely yeah. understand. But I do believe that they, Full House often for their very special episodes would do a a coda at the end where the cast would be like sitting in the living room and addressed to camera. If you, uh, you know, want to, I don't know, what do you talk to your kids about smoking or whatever the case may be? Like, here's a number you can call. And, and it's like very, and everybody just like looks like they're at a funeral. It's like and there's super an scary. Beat. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the <laughs> scariest thing. The actual episode itself was not that troubling to me. But anytime the cast of Full House was direct to camera Mm -hmm. telling you to be scared of something, I was just like, oh, God. Okay, guys. (laughs) That episode is really about like shame and guilt. Yeah. It's like your parents will be disappointed. Bob Saget's going to disown you. Yeah. But here's my argument. Mm -hmm. I think that the Full House TGIF era of very special episodes was like the end of the era, the Mm -hmm. Baroque period of very special episodes. Because you, would, if you were watching all of TGIF, you could have like two in a night. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I think this was like on the heels of an '80s time when this was like such a trope that it became like a widely ridiculed thing. Yeah. A very special episode. Although now we know it was mandated by the network. Yep. My answer is, of course, the drunk driving episode of Saved by the Bell. Oh wait, what I a nightmare! Remember oh, that. because they don't show it a lot because it is dark. They what go happened? to a party, and Zach gets drunk, <gasps> and then he drives him and I think uh, Jesse home, and then crashes. What? Whoa! Did they end up in the hospital? I think so. He feels really guilty. It's very dark. I know a lot of people would say that the speed episode of oh yeah, that's the clear that's oh, yeah. the classic. But that one just has become a joke. It's yeah. become it's, a joke. The, it was kind of a joke to begin. With. It was yeah. so ridiculously heightened yeah. that you couldn't help but think like she must have really crushed up all those the, happy pills. <laughs> the drunk driving episode is fucked up because it also like punctures the sort of wholesomeness of the Saved by the Bell right. universe in a way that they're not allowed to do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Which is why Riverdale is great, because it's just all that. It's all special <laughs> episodes. But with Very no special all, Riverdale. It's all puncturing the facade. But yeah, yeah it just makes you be like, yeah, of course these kids would like drink and have sex and drive drunk and stuff. So let me just, before I tell you guys mine, I just wanted to let you know first some trip. I watched the episode where Cherry gets, it's called Cherry Lifesaver, if you want to watch it yourself um and it is the one of the darkest things i've ever seen and i'm just gonna spoil it really quick so um punky and her friends whose names i don't remember and her friend cherry are all playing hide and seek outside and it starts snowing and the person who's counting is reaching you know like they're about to end their count and cherry's the only one who doesn't have a hiding place so the kind or the kind of like grumpy guy who adopted punky has just put his old fridge out. And I think he even mentioned, like, don't hide in here. Cherry does. Anyway, they look, can't find her. They go inside. They're convinced she's inside. They're looking around inside. And then by the time they find her, she has stopped breathing and has no pulse. Are you kidding? Not kidding at all. So they take her out, and the grumpy apartment guy is like, I don't know how to do CPR, 
kid over here, do you know how to do CPR? And he's like, no, I was in the principal's office. So then by the time Punky and her friend come down, they know how to do CPR. They perform CPR and literally bring this girl back to life. Oh, my God. And it's shot in a very distressing way with distressing music and, like, long pauses. But what's interesting is it was – this story was chosen from a pitch contest. And a kid wrote in and was like, I would like to see – because they were like, what's a lesson that you want to teach? And he was like, I want to see someone save someone else's life with CPR Uh so that kids at home can learn CPR. And they added the fridge. The fridge is their own They added the fridge. So then he went to go see it and he Uh, was like, what the hell? Like, I didn't say anything about a fridge. Anyway, so my very special episode is two episodes, both featuring uncles on family ties. One of them is, um, I don't even remember who played him, but there was like an uncle, but not a blood relation uncle who molested Mallory after giving her some kind of like an internship. Oh my God. But the, the worst, the most intense one is Tom Hanks as an alcoholic uncle who comes to visit and it's like played for laughs where he's like just drinking everything in the liquor cabinet and they're like, oh, you drink too much. And Tom Hanks looks so young. And then at some point he runs out of liquor and starts drinking vanilla extract and maraschino cherry juice. And then he tries to get Alex to like go for a beer with him and it's like really like badgering him. And then he ends up slapping Alex Keaton. Oh, my God. And it's really intense to see a very young-looking Tom Hanks slapping Michael J. Fox. Wow, that's Michael so interesting, too, because I was just thinking um, about when Tom Hanks won that award the other night mm-hmm. at the Globes. Mm-hmm. I was like, has Tom Hanks ever played a bad person? Oh, yeah, he did. Uncle Ned was bad. Yeah, but yeah. like in a movie. like Has in Tom Hanks ever been a villain? That's isn't a good he, question. Is he bad like, in, um, isn't he in Bridge of Spies? Isn't he bad in Bridge of Spies? Maybe. I, Ooh. Seen it. I was I just curious because I don't know. And I was like, people who tend to only play goody goodies tend to have a darkness inside. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he was feuding with Fonzie. Well, all yeah. of the darkness in Tom Hanks has been purely channeled through his son, Chet. So. <laughs> I watched that Instagram, the Chet Patois yeah. Instagram, so many times. Oh, one more thing on the note of spooky fridges. Maybe I just have high fridge awareness now because we mm-hmm. were talking about them. But I saw an abandoned fridge on the street the other day that someone had tagged Slumlord on the side of it mm-hmm. uh, because a fridge on the sidewalk in LA is often a sign that somebody is evicting everybody yeah yeah and gonna put in a new fridge so another reason to be scared they're never a good thing it's chilling (laughs) (laughs) if you have thoughts on very special episodes or refrigerators please give us a call at 24046night or an email at nightcallpodcast at gmail.com after we get back we will have some thoughts on Molly's very famous and shocking Seinfeld poll A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts We're back. Molly, on Twitter the other day, 
You posed a very interesting question. Right, I'd like to talk about how this went down. What happened was we were watching Seinfeld. Me and my boyfriend were watching Seinfeld. And I said, if you had to have sex with one of the main Seinfeld men, Elaine's not allowed because everybody would pick Elaine. But, you know, Jerry, George, or Kramer. Um, I think I was just like, I think most people would pick Jerry. Possibly George might win. But he said, no way. Everyone wants to fuck Kramer. And I was like, what are you talking about? No, they don't. And he was like, I promise you, if you if you run a poll, he said, run a poll on Twitter. Kramer's going to win in a landslide. Mm-hmm. And that is what happened. That's what happened. What were the final results? I think it was like 70% Kramer or something. No, it wasn't 70%. Okay. It was, it, but it was it was like a strong... It was interesting, too, to follow a poll because it was like people mm-hmm. really had... I love doing a poll. People had really strong feelings about this. It made everybody really examine themselves. Yeah. It made everyone a little sick, to be <laughs> yeah. honest. But um, it really stayed this consistent throughout, like from the when it had 100 votes to when it had like maybe 2,000 votes at the end. It was like the same percentages the whole time, which was that 50% of people chose Kramer. And then it was like 30% Jerry, 20% George. I'm so astounded by I'm, this. I'm not as somebody who voted for Kramer. You I voted for Kramer? Yeah. What? Oh my god, we're gonna cover all the bases. This is gonna be amazing. Oh man. Wait, what are what were yours? Well, after a lot Did of we guess. What? Guess. guess. Um Molly picked George and you picked Jerry. Wrong. Really? Wrong. Oh my god. <laughs> it's all, the most shocking thing. We all of all learned time. a lot about ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Cause what I learned is that I want to be a person who picks George. But I would pick Jerry, which is horrible to say. This is I the know. fictional Jerry Seinfeld also. You can't. There is yeah. no specified. fictional Jerry Seinfeld. No, 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 no really. it is. Okay. It's different from the real person Jerry Who Seinfeld. Dated well, and, and again, we need to emphasize that Cosmo Kramer is not right. Michael Richards. Well, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I th- think I also thought the Michael Richards-ness would get in the way of people wanting to right. fuck Kramer. But... I don't know. I mean, Michael Richards, or I mean, rather Cosmo Kramer, <laughs> seems See? actually same. It's interchangeable. Yeah. Seems the most like somebody that you might, if you were a person that was single and just like meeting people at random in bars or something in New York City now, that seems the most like somebody that you, uh, in, uh, us at our age right now, would probably run into and maybe like strike up something with romantic or otherwise. I yeah. think, okay, everybody, <laughs> everybody picked, I think everyone would pick Jason Alexander if it were. The no. real people. No, oh, I would. Yeah. Oh, have, oh, the real people? Yeah. If you had to I choose between so. like yeah, if you real Jerry choose. Seinfeld, yeah. Michael Richards, and Jason Alexander, everybody was like, Jason Alexander seems like a nice person. Yeah. Sure. Who loves to be in musicals. He just mm-hmm. loves musicals. Um, But this, yeah, this was harrowing for a lot of people. So here I wrote down some arguments against um, all of them. It was very hard to find arguments for. But I'm qu- my question for Emily... Would you be okay with him busting into your apartment uninvited, unannounced, eating all your food? And if you stayed at his apartment, are you remembering that it was haunted by a doll named Mr. Marbles? <laughs> Think about it. I mean, this is not dating. This right, is, that's what I'm saying. It's well, a one-night stand. Whoever's place you're at. You know, are you at a motel? Like, does no, that change everything? At his or at yours? At I, his. I'm going to say at he his. comes home with me. But you remember that when Jerry and Kramer <laughs> traded apartments, Jerry became Kramer-like, and that would happen to you as well. No, 
it wouldn't because he would be in my apartment. Oh, so she's saying, okay, at your apartment. So then he's going to eat all your food. And then he knows where you live and he's going to drop by. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah, The thing that really puts Tess off is apparently the drop-in skis. Mm -hmm. The drop-in. No, but that feels very like charming in 90s. (laughs) Oh, God. It's so scary to to me. It's terrifying (laughs) to me. He drops in. All of a sudden, I'm living in a communal table. Forget yeah. it. Yeah, I think I realized that uh, I would I would pick Jerry, which was really disappointing to me. But yeah. also it made me be like, oh, am I like a little attracted to contempt? Jerry, no. Jerry is too much like people that I've actually dated in That's the past. That's what a lot I of other girls I know said. They said I dated enough there. Jerry. Yeah. Um, I think I didn't really date any Jerry, so I, I could I could handle the idea. Yeah. But not for a relationship. No, it's obviously. just one, one. But I just think it would be very boring. Like, probably, probably. But for one night, who cares? Boring is probably fine. Would like, not that's... be boring with George. I'm just saying, <laughs> okay. would, would not, not be, be boring, boring with, with George. With Kramer. <laughs> um, George may have terrible parents, be obsessed with the Civil War, and like a just terribly neurotic person. But George would like maybe bring a sandwich. <laughs> And that's really <laughs> that's what my thing. Down. But that to me says that you are George. I think yeah, that, but he's also based on Larry David. I think that George would be actually the only person to like really think about like taking you out for dinner first. <laughs> George would do anything for someone yeah. he was enamored of. Yeah, yeah. So you'd be treated the best probably I by think George. So. But, we would like yeah. to know what you think of <laughs> yes. the great Seinfeld poll. This is good because I did yeah. a poll last year that was which one of the friends is a murderer. Oh, which is also very tough. Um, I believe it was like Ross and Monica together, working together as a sibling duo. Yeah, that's such a stretch. I don't believe that. Anybody, any of them, you could make an argument. Joey, it would be Chandler. Oh, you think Chandler? Yeah, Chandler Chandler seems obvious, but Joey seems like he would maybe like vehicular manslaughter and then just be like, "Uh, no, never (laughs) happened." What about Phoebe? Dark Horse. She could be. I, I, I would say Phoebe and Chandler would be my top picks. But, you know, you can imagine it for almost anybody. If you would Um, like us also to talk about who we would like to make out with or kill um, on a sitcom. (laughs) On a sitcom, on a sitcom. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) If you want us to do a bracket of who's the most fuckable on Taxi, we've got answers. Mm. Can can we talk real quick about another beloved figure figure of the 90s who's in the news this week? May we? Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is going to have a Netflix show called The Goop Lab. Uh, I want to work there. No, Emily. I want to work at The Goop Lab. That makes me so sad. I want to be a woman in STEM. Um, I want to work at The Goop Lab. (laughs) Shout out to Wesley Morris for shouting us out about Goop, apparently. Yeah, Wesley wrote a really great piece that I, of course, really vibed with because the headline of it, I believe, is I love Gwyneth Paltrow. There I said it. Um, It was in the New York Times last fall. So I think it was when she was in The Politician, which I did not watch. I'm not, my my opinions about Gwyneth Paltrow have nothing to do with The Politician. Uh, or her acting. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, it does have to do with her acting. I think she is a wonderful actress. I think that the only problem that I have with Goop, really, at the end of the day, is that she's doing that instead of being in movies. Well, um, there's a whole thing with the people that are like, it's, I'm making. I could make more money as an influencer than an actress and work less hard. So why don't I just be an influencer? That to me, it's like, how fucking privileged do you have to be to be like, I'll just take like f- 
however long I want off from work. And when I come back, it'll just be there. Well, she was the pioneer of this. And I think that a lot of it, I've written about this before uh, in Grantland. Uh, I think a lot of Goop, as I understood it, like the, given the timeline and later interviews that she did, was very much about her postpartum depression. I mm-hmm. think she had a really hard time after she had her kids. And I think also she had had a lot of bad experiences in the industry, as we now know. And I think it's all very understandable. And to like want to just like start a business and do something that doesn't have anything to do with that and kind of like go. Uh, yeah, just do something that seems okay. like lower stakes but, at that moment. Like when Goop is just a blog. But like, it's I don't know. the worst business uh, that anyone's fine. ever it's started. Fine. It's like class, <laughs> class wart gasoline. If it were cheap, if Goop were cheap, if Goop were cheap I would be free. Love it. Goop yeah. is free. The newsletter no, is if, free. If the things that she sold were cheap. Oh, I won't buy any of the things it, she sells. I just enjoy like and she and she has a lot of recipes. I have actually like used a lot of her recipes in the past. I, I copped using a couple recipes and finding them good. But my my issue is I feel offended by the price point. Look, I make recipes off Kristen from Vanderpump Rules. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. So I you hate an influencer. I'm not one to talk. <laughs> but I just feel like she sells snake oil. That's what's un- well, the, cool about it. The real issue is the when she makes borderline medical or scientific yes. claims. It's her doctor, not her. Though. It is her doctor, but she. But the doctor giving the doctor a platform mm-hmm. that has like legitimacy to it is an issue like the vagina I eggs and the and I don't think that we get to like our now our moment of like self care now though without goop like I and I, I hate think our moment of self care yeah, but you love you love self grandparenting it's basically no, it's the a, same it's thing it's a satire of how stupid <laughs> self care is I think it's more that self care the industry versus self care the practice if you can yes. self care for free or for cheap then yeah. it's a different yes. thing but when people talk about self care in terms of like even just the expenditure of time for like a multi-step face yes. you know and, the, and there's like a backlash to and that it's now like the Definitely. idea that you're just like this endless vagina that just like turns inward eternally that sounds great that though. sounds like a no like a gif <laughs> it's, it's like you have to love that she she signed off on the art for the goop lab though no, right i don't like how like She's it's a- like let's like just shut out the world and like work on ourselves and that's just like do a million face masks and like masturbate and just like take baths like no fuck you there's a lot of shit going on and like the fact that she's in such a bubble is like less attractive than ever. Even though she's been usurped by like influencers, it's kind of like quaint and nineties, as Here, you were saying. Here's the thing: I don't need Gwyneth Paltrow to be a voice about any kind of social issues or politics right now, and I think she understands her role. Like, well, I know that she's like endorsed Pete or whatever, but like Ew. in in the in the broadest sense, though, I she has like she has a quote that everybody hates her for, but she's like. I can't pretend not to be a rich person. And I Ew. actually think I actually think that that is more honest and like good to just put out there in no uncertain terms than like to try to be something that you're or represent something or give voice to something that you really cannot give but voice to. I actually completely agree with I that. I also I, I mean sure, but I also think it's bullshit to have an aspirational brand cuz like people can't aspire to be born rich. Every single brand is about aspiring to be rich yeah, right now. Yeah, but that sucks. It I know sucks. it's bad, but she's not unique for that, I will she's say. She's not unique, but like the, her pioneering it doesn't make it like 
good. It just means she did it before everybody was doing it. I mean, I still don't think, like, I think you can buy into the actual website and, like, order shit from her store or whatever. But that's, like, I I still just get her newsletter. And I actually, now I have my inbox marks it as red already. (laughs) So I don't even read it most of the time. But I will go to her website for recipes, which I don't think is, like, that's not a buy-in at all. Yeah, I just feel like. That's just, like, a source for, like, oh, I would like to have this soup that's, like, you know, makes you feel like warm and 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 good and has ginger in it in the winter like i don't know like she's 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 good for stuff like that i know and i i actually like hear what you're saying now that you read it more like a blog and less like a catalog and i think when you feel like you're being targeted as a customer as opposed to an audience yeah then you your interpretation of it is very different if you feel personally like targeted by stuff like you must buy a jade egg and if you are if you feel insulted by this, like you have taken it, you know, to heart enough that you're like the fact that I don't have a jade egg makes me mad. Then like I feel like I feel like it's a wrong approach. Like I it's sh- just like she's telling you to buy a jade egg. Whatever. You don't have but to pay I think attention it's, to it. It's more like when you talk about her postpartum depression and stuff like that. I think when with the jade egg and some of the health and wellness stuff. The vagina steaming. It's it's more the idea that you are like inherently have toxins and kind of things that you must purge. And when you think about people who are potentially like neurotic about those things who are being sold things that could actually harm them. That to me is like a different branch of the blog. Right. And she definitely doesn't. I feel like she's less hardcore about that stuff than a lot of people. We gotta have Jane Marie on from The Dream, which is doing a wellness season, to be the arbiter of whether Goop is a charlatan or... Again, though... A businesswoman. A (laughs) businesswoman. I just, I also think one of the most, like, sympathetic things she has said as part of Goop is just, like... I still have my one American spirit every week. Oh, yeah. I, like, I definitely enjoy that she does that. That's why her skin is not aspirational at all. Oh, it's like one cigarette like, a week is no, doing nothing saying, bad like, to her you're skin. You're not like, like you look at Gwyneth Paltrow. I don't think anybody looks at her at this point and is like, ooh, I wish I was her. <laughs> You I don't know. know. I, I, I ran into her at a restaurant. I ran into her like as if we we, we exchanged words. But I Gwenny. saw her at a restaurant like two years ago, and she is very beautiful. Yeah, I, like, I think go I, away and be rich. She is like Just go be rich by yourself. I, I know several Asian friends of mine, and we have all copped to having the white lady that we have wished at some times that we were, and and Gwyneth was mine. It's Gwyneth well. has always been mine. <laughs> what is it? Is it just that she she's she, effortless? I like her. Well, I I liked her as an actress when I was in, in high yeah, school. Like she, I love her in Talented Mr. Ripley, and, and Wesley really highlights the scene in Talented Mr. Ripley. I was she's like, great she's in that, so she's fantastic. Playing a rich bitch. Yeah, but I mean, she but she oh, she it's, she goes it's more complicated. She than reminds that. It's me, a fantastic performance. Maybe it's also like she reminds me of like Beverly Hills princesses that like we grew up with. Sure. So it's like. I don't, not, know. I don't know. I it, never thought I'd be defending Gwyneth Paltrow against anyone. I'm grateful for this this spirited <laughs> debate. I'm like, I don't know. That's why it's fun. I'll, I'll always say, stand up for, for my, my lady GP. I will say the funniest comment I saw on ONTD was somebody being like, I'll watch this show if it's like, hey, I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. Welcome to Jackass. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I'm in. If I'm, she like just does a backflip into a yoni egg, yoni I, egg. I would be way into that. I mean, I, I think it'll even, be weird. She's kind of she weird. She doesn't even take mushrooms on the show, apparently, because she doesn't want people to see her lose control. That's such a cop out. She has kids. So what? Everybody 
has kids and takes Listen, mushrooms. No. We're gonna have to see it for ourselves. I will definitely. We'll check back in right. when it hits Netflix. We're and taking I have watched mushrooms. every episode. Um, we're taking mushrooms on the air. For taking the, mushrooms and live live potting the goop lab uh, sounds great. <laughs> Something that we can all agree on, I think, is um, that the Postmates delivery robots. Oh yeah, I saw Postmates delivery are robot. Evil. I saw one right before I got my cavity filled. Which I haven't seen as, these at okay. all. So they look like little yellow shop solid shopping carts with eyes and they roll around. Yeah. I saw some I saw a woman jogging behind one and I thought it was like maybe she was had like, it looks a, like a stroller or something. robot. Yeah, a stroller a robot stroller is what I thought it was. Uh, and they just are they expecting that nobody's going to kick them over because that seemed like the obvious it does <laughs> they go pretty fast they so really? they carry That's they dangerous. can carry up to 50 pounds they can travel 30 miles between charges and uh they're i think called serve according i looked at the postmates website and there is floating text that says over the picture of the robot that says Delighted to meet you. <laughs> Serve's personality is all about understanding people. Nothing about Serve's intelligence is artificial. Yeah, right, Serve. Oh, I hate it so what a much. Lie. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I just, ugh, God, I don't know. I, I hate this. I hate all I hate all the litter. I hate all the trash that all these companies are creating. They create so much yeah. trash. Scooters. And then they also, like, block the sidewalks yeah. for disabled people and yeah. people they, who live on the sidewalks. Also, does, the, what does Serve... Is, is serve running around in New York like a serve running around in places where people use the sidewalks? Somebody, I think they were first permitted in San Francisco yeah. because The Verge reported on it in mm-hmm. August that they'd gotten a permit for San Francisco. Yeah, and Garcetti will let any old trash happen in Los Angeles if it's got wheels. Then he will give it rights. It Ugh. is like a wheeler from Return to Oz. It's like a wheeler. It also just looks like it reminded me so much of Wall E because you can see how quickly it's going to degrade oh, yeah. and look, you know, just beat up and sad. Well, they're white, right? They're no, going to get yellow. So yellow. Oh. They look like minions. They're going to look really dirty very quickly. They, I don't. It's weird how I come to the defense of these robots. Like I'm not mad at them. I'm mad at the people who created them. Unlike scooters, where I actually like I'm anthropomorphize well, the scooter. Well, you, you don't anthropomorphize these because you're like unionize. I ha- they have eyes, and so I'm like, who's your boss? Who like unleashed you onto right. the streets? You're not safe here. And we know it's because they're like trying to get around having to hire human beings mm-hmm. because they demand things like fair wages. <laughs> Wait, were you guys? T- was it on this podcast that you were telling me about the the robot at the airport? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did feel- you watch a video of her? No. Oh, Emily, I you must. Can't, I can't. It's heartbreaking. Oh, She's like, hello. Oh. Hey, can I tell can you I about... Please? And people are just mean. Oh. Every single podcast, I feel like I find a way to bring in like the sad plight of robots, but I'm thinking well, about it so much. One story because- about nature taking revenge on all this nightmare garbage that we all found inspiring. The story about the mega tumbleweed in Washington that shut down a highway because it was so big. <laughs> um, my friend Aurora Tang wrote me a message about this to say that these are called nuclear tumbleweeds because they were came from a nuclear plant at some point, but that they are not glow-in-the-dark or anything. <laughs> I don't know if them being nuclear is what makes them get so big, but it's very much like, imagine the blob, but as tumbleweeds. Yeah, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't even register as a tumbleweed in the photos of it. It just looks like, it does look like the blob. It looks it's like so a big cool. cloud that is like descended over So they the trapped road. cars and shut down a highway? Yeah. And That's not good. tumbleweeds themselves are like an invasive species that were brought over, I think, by Russians in like the 1870s or something to the American West and became this like iconic symbol of the American West, but they are invasive. 
Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Super interesting. Huh. And so it's an invasive plant. And I just love the idea that plants or animals might take their revenge on us. Yeah, it's very annihilation. Yeah. Um, we'll get to more annihilation type things soon with the abyss. But first, we got to talk about the yeah. Grimes and Elon Musk, baby. We are, I feel like, contractually obliged to talk about the, the, the spawn of Grimes and Elon Musk. Um I mean, only Grimes would announce her pregnancy with a bad Photoshop job. Like, I just. It was like a deviant art pregnancy announcement. Yes. <laughs> it was like my twisted baby. Yeah. And she had one with nips and one without. So, the, like, for ultimate postability. She like, said that it made pregnancy made her feel feral and warlike. Yeah. Which is just felt gross because I was like, girl, there's a war. Yeah. Maybe about to happen. Yeah. Maybe it's not cool to be warlike. Also, who are you worrying against? Like, who are you protecting your child against when you're inside the compound? The Cybertruck, like, by the way, I realized from watching Total Recall again, just is a Johnny Cab from Total Recall, which are the, like, robot-driven oh, right. cars. It's just what they took the shape of that and made it. But it's supposed to be dystopian in Total Recall. You're supposed to be like, oh, a self-driving, like, brutalist nightmare car. What do you think they're going to name their baby? <laughs> That's the hardest something question ever so asked. Something so stupid. Um, something from a video game that I haven't played. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody said Mars. Mars. Mm. <laughs> Somebody else said it'll be in Wingdings. How about Wingdings? Photos like the moon of Mars. <laughs> something fucking stupid. I just, I don't know. I rebuke it. I, it feels like a, I don't know. It feels like a, uh, I, I, I hate the Elon Musk online persona whenever he's like addressing anything having to do with grimes because it's like very hello fellow kids like oh he, totally well, he's old as fuck yeah he's yeah not, by the way he's not old as fuck no but he's got like hella kids already he's 48 she's 31 it's just that he's like embarrassing he's just very <laughs> on some levels yeah we yeah. just we're an anti-musk pod what can i say yeah oh, we are anti I can't uh, believe they're still together. I, I, there they've a, been they've been quiet over there for there a while. There was this so picture I, of them at Kim and Kanye's Christmas party, uh, and it was just like the most Hunger Games thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I was just like, "Fuck this." The weirdest thing is that didn't Azalea Banks like congratulate them? Really? Well, everyone was yeah. saying she's going to show up like Maleficent, and be, like <laughs> claim the first child, claim the child, do it. This is for the recording session yeah. that never happened. <laughs> just put a curse on the baby. Yeah, it's what it deserves. Hey, it's not the baby's fault. Well, this is like a the poor baby. I know. <laughs> Ugh. That baby's gonna be so fucked up. Sorry. <laughs> it's true. I feel bad for the baby. I wish no harm on the baby or them, but I but I wish they weren't famous so that we didn't have to like yeah. address any of this. It but is we just do. like it does feel like though when like some quirky art school girl you know turns out to just be like a boring normie and you're like, oh, I could have sensed that all along. Anyone who's that obsessed with being quirky and unique is yeah. probably like deeply boring. It's and like, no, wait, I can make motherhood like uh, alt. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it. But it's also edgelordy to be like, I'll make it alt by like getting with a billionaire <laughs> psychopath. All I could think about when I saw the picture was that I think Kate Raft from Jack AM needs to do some art about this. Yes. Because it is very, like, pregnancy is twisted, like you said. Uh, and I think it can it can inspire well, good we, people to do good things. We, we <laughs> right? enjoy pregnancy body horror. I think we are just like, how dare you co-opt pregnancy body horror when this is horrifying, legitimately. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to kick off a new 
here on Night Call. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. 
As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back. We are starting a new film series after the rousing success of our puppetry series that we did over the holidays at I'm the end of say last we year. We already started this series last week with cats. Yeah, in a way. That was just a little. But a that little was a taste. Taste. That it was a taste of the uncanny. A little fancy feast on the spoon. <laughs> so we are following up nightmarish 80s puppet movies December with unnerving CGI January. From the, like, mostly what I would call early CGI. Yeah. Uh, 80s not, and 90s. It's not bad CGI. It's just early. It yes. was great for the time. So it's yeah. unnerving. Yeah. I would argue that, that the CGI in our movie today holds up. It was. Pretty well. But I also feel like unnerving covers it still. Yeah. yeah. And also covers cats. Yes. And The Lawnmower Man, which we're going to do next week. Yeah, so you can study ahead. Um, we are talking about James Cameron's The Abyss this week, which I had never seen, and I realized I hadn't seen because it's been kind of difficult to watch historically. I think that James Cameron is very protective over versions of his film. Like, he's kind of Lucasy in the way where he's like, you can't see this until I have the perfect version of it ready. So so now there's a, it's on HBO Go. It, there's an extended version. That's not the version that's on HBO Go, but I was actually able to, like you were actually able to stream it now, um, which is has not been the case for a while. So I was like, okay, that's why I haven't seen it because uh, I was watching this and getting through it and I was like, this movie kind of rules and I'm sort of mad at myself for not having seen it earlier after having like known about it for such a long time and known about it as this like early ILM thing like that was like kind of put like my, made ILM industrial light and magic this um cool get I can't speak uh boundary breaking uh part of like it was the first stuff. big test for the use of CGI in a blockbuster yeah before Jurassic Park and yes. It is yeah. interesting, too, because it's a movie with a lot of sets as well. And somebody was saying, like, oh, it's interesting this movie, like, kind of killed set building yeah. because the CGI did succeed. Right. The CGI seems like it was probably the easiest part of the film well, to make. So 40% <laughs> of the movie was shot underwater. Yeah. Yeah. So the behind the scenes of The Abyss, we'll talk about The Abyss, the movie, but also the behind the scenes. No yeah. one can talk about this movie without talking about what a nightmare it was to make. Apparently, the crew would call it the abuse. Oh, or the son un- of abyss. Yeah. <laughs> was another one. Um, Nobody wants to talk about it who was involved, which is also yeah. maybe why there hasn't been like a retrospective or a big, you know, release of it. Yeah. Ed Harris, I think, was genuinely traumatized by making this movie, which is understandable. <laughs> Ed Harris, who plays the one of the leads. The, so the leads in this movie is very James Cameron-y. The leads are like a bickering divorced couple they're mm-hmm. still married estranged. but estranged 
Um, yeah. Because he it, has his wedding ring that he tosses yeah. in the potty. They it's have Girl it Friday on a submarine. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a submarine movie. But I was also like grateful for a submarine movie that had like a woman or two in it. Yeah. They mm-hmm. tend to not. Yeah. Well, James Cameron is always good at like a ragtag team that like everybody kind of. Well, like, he likes feels... to have strong ladies. And he yeah. didn't he criticize some movie because he was like, it's not as cool as like Sarah Connor. He he's very into himself yeah. being like a, a feminist, pioneer which yeah. is feminism. Like, <laughs> but cool, like, cool. I mean, he, he had some quote. I'm oh, sorry, Emily. No, you go ahead. No, no, no. He had some quote about like, I love like really independent, like difficult women. That's why I like keep marrying them. But then I couldn't find one who needed me because they're so independent and bitchy. And then I found my wife, who's like an independent woman who needs me. I was just like, enough, James Cameron. Enough. Talk less. This is wife number. <laughs> Is it? It is. He's on wife number five. He was married to Gail Ann Hurd, the The producer producer. who rules. Mm -hmm. Looked her up. Storied producer. And it also made me be like, oh, he's got a type. Uh Yeah. Because she kind of looks like Catherine Bigelow. She just looks like a cool, a cool, tough broad who works in Hollywood. Um, She produced Aliens as well. Yeah. Seems like she is a big genre pioneer. Yeah. Should be talked about as much as James Cameron. I mean, she did a lot of effects. She did Terminator. She did Aliens with him. She And then she did The Abyss, and then they were divorced by the end of The Abyss. Yeah, this thing says they were married when they started filming. They separated during filming, and they were divorced by the end. And I think he was already with Catherine Bigelow yeah. at that point. He's, he hops from lily pad to lily pad. Yeah. And I think she, she did executive produce um, Terminator 2, but I think that she was not hands-on in it. It was just because she had produced the first one. I imagine once you produce Terminator, you could probably chill out for like one minute. Yeah. Yeah. But Um, this movie rules. It's really, it's great. I mean, It's too long. It is. And the extended version is longer by like a half an hour or something. Oh my God, stop. So it's a full three hours long. It's almost three hours long, the extended version. I took a break in the middle, I will admit. Um, There are a lot of set pieces. Yeah. Yeah, course it out. But then I like did watch the end of it as I was going to bed. And this movie... The end is ridiculous. The movie ends really strong. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was like, oh, I only want to watch movies where the third act is just completely tripping balls. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was like a 10 to 1 sketch or something. You were like, excuse me? Well, he's really trying for a 2001 finale. Yeah. And And you can feel it. I knew it was coming, but it was sort of impressive also after. So let's tell what The Abyss is about. In case you don't know. Let's try. Yeah. 1989, The Abyss. It's about nuclear war also. It's like a Russian sub and an American sub fighting to get to the bottom of the ocean for some reason. Unclear. At least in in the non-extended version, unclear. To stop a nuclear war, but that is not clear in the the theatrical version. Um, And then it turns out there's like benevolent alien... Aquatic aliens. NTIs, non-terrestrial intelligence. The NTIs have like kind of intercepted this American sub and and fucked it up and driven it off course and it 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 crashes and it has nuclear it has like nukes on board (laughs) and so they have to go down like this crew has to go down and search for survivors which is actually like the the scariest part of the whole yeah mm-hmm. and um it's good also because it's like a space trucking movie but underwater yeah i yeah. mean it is a space movie underwater yeah it's aliens underwater yeah, which is such a good idea and especially at that time I such mean, a good like, idea 
um, yeah. And, and going in the opposite direction of aliens and being like the aliens are good. They're in good. This. Yeah. But in, and I think it's spelled out more in the extended version that they're kind of like, they're kind of Godzilla-esque in that they are kind of these godlike punishers for the ills of man. <laughs> they're really cool looking also. Yeah. They just look like a jellyfish, like a bioluminescent jellyfish. Well, so like the 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 aliens, they call them netties. It's like non-terrestrial intelligences. Yes. Um they are as far as I can tell, it's really hard to find information about that effect because the water column thing is like the most famous thing and that's the CGI thing. Um, and that was the thing that ILM did. And the and the aliens, I don't think that ILM did, but they're like a really kind of cool, they kind of look Tron-like. It's sort of that yeah. projection era of like graphics, but like a practical puppet is yeah. involved as well. Oh, it's like, that makes sense. Yeah, it's really great they, looking. They said this movie also invented like farming out different effects to different effects houses yeah. so that you could get them all done at the same time. Yeah. But I did think that the jellyfish looking thing was it did have a puppety feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It well, has especially a little the head. hand. Yeah. yeah. It, has a, it, it has looks a like a praying thing. mantis oh. inside of a jellyfish. I thought that was yeah. just really good CGI and I was actually so impressed with how good <laughs> the CGI no, was. It looks fantastic. I mean, that's the thing that's interesting about this movie, even just like within like film history, is that you have both. You have yeah. you have CGI and you have this really interesting well, puppet design. And Jurassic Park is like that, and that's why they both work so well, yeah. is because there's yeah, like yeah. a groundedness to it where you don't just feel like they're Pete's dragon like animated in like you do with full-on cgi yeah but i once was like why don't they just always do that and it was like because it's really expensive Mm -hmm. yeah at this point it's like people choose cgi but i do think that something is lost when you don't have like the puppetry underneath is what makes it yeah well it's the kind of thing where when you notice cgi but then you notice an effect and you identify it as not being cgi it becomes less bothersome because Mm -hmm. it's unpredictable it i don't it doesn't bother me to notice something cgi or even to notice bad cgi as long as it's not the only thing that's going on because then you become obsessive about it and start to you know disengage but i I think like especially when you're animating something i think it's easier if you're doing something like an alien or some kind of like uh non-human thing where that when it enters the film the tone and the feeling of the film changes so it's like okay if it doesn't look like everything else because it shouldn't it should look genuinely alien and I think they pull that off really well yeah the alien city is really cool yeah it's so (laughs) I mean like that's how I was like how have I not seen this movie before it's like pink aliens and Ed Harris like (laughs) touching their fingers and stuff and it's great Um, and then the aliens are gonna kill society but they decide not to because of the love between Ed Harris Harris loves his his wife. wife um, Dr. Lindsay Brigman. She's really great too. She's so good. I really, yeah, it was, it's Mary Ann Mastrantonio, Mary Ann? Mary Um, Elizabeth. Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, who was, um, she's the sister in Scarface. Scarface. She was also, I realized, um, I was listening to the blank check episode on this film, which I hadn't listened to before because I had not seen the movie. Um, She was also made Marion and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. (laughs) I've never Um, seen that. She yeah. is a very, she's an amazing actor, and she has a very, like, very cool face. Yeah. 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 I mean, I do love those James Cameron, like, tough broad in a wife. Yeah. Everyone, um, he he loves me, a good face. Let me yeah. not say wife beater. I do, love the, <laughs> I do love those James Cameron, like, tough, tough chick in a tank top. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, at the end of the film, not to fast forward to the end, but just, like, 
when you know it's the end and they they've come out of the um the what's it called the rig and they kind of like get pooped out of the rig onto <laughs> the surface of the the alien craft whatever it is and she's just in like sweats and like a like a kind of ill-fitting sweater and like that's that's what she's wearing in the victorious end scene right. and it's kind of like she looks like she's just been blogging all day <laughs> <laughs> nobody has time for bras in the james canry yeah. universe no. yeah. they gotta work on yeah. this ship respect yeah. i respect that but, um yeah, it's also really funny when you come out of the super long CGI sequence, which is really psychedelic, really amazing, genuinely sort of overwhelming and made me be like, oh, I wish I was watching this on a large screen. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. And then the first person you see is Chris Elliott. Yes. <laughs> Chris Elliott is so, it's such a surprising choice as Bendix. So, so hard. <laughs> Because I saw him on the cast and I was like, oh, it must be another Chris Elliott. That I was nope. like, nope, nope, it's yeah. Chris Elliott. It's Cabin Boy. Yeah. Yeah. He's like the comforting bookend at the beginning and end of the, like, he's like, oh, we're back on Earth where, where yeah. Chris Elliott is. There's a couple things about this movie that come up also. One is that the set was just kind of left there in the half-built nuclear reactor where they filmed it yeah. uh, until 2007. Yeah. So you can find people who did urban exploring to go to. There's like an io9 post about it. Ooh. Um, but it's a little disappointing because it's just like a tank. It's not yeah. like yeah. the interior or the subs or anything. But it is really creepy and very annihilation-y because it is an overgrown, uh, yeah. unfinished nuclear reactor plant. This would be the Cherokee nuclear power plant in Gaffney, South Carolina, yeah. I think. They also did... Um, I was really fascinated by the idea of them filming in this giant underground lake in a mine Mm -hmm. uh, in Missouri. I mean, all of the like in the context of how horrible filming was. Yeah, because you're filming underwater, which would make you insane. But it's not only that. It's not just that. It's not only that. (laughs) It's the chlorine. It's the darkness. The diver's hair was like bleached by water and their skin was burned. James Cameron clearly seems to have some sort of a playing God power trip. Well, so this is the issue is that he, his... The way that he kind of justifies what he puts actors through is, I wouldn't ask you to do <laughs> yeah. anything I wouldn't yeah. do. Yes. Like, but, but that, you're James Cameron. <laughs> you're James Cameron. So James Cameron is a super crazy deep sea explorer. So it's like, of course you would do yeah. it, James so Cameron. he almost died too. Yeah. And the story was that he was running out of air and then he like punched this diver in the face and like swam to the surface. Great call. Um, Ed Harris almost died and yeah. talks about how he pulled over over on the side of the road to cry started crying yeah. there was like they would have breaks in the green room where the whole cast would just weep and like throw furniture throw out the window sofas out the window yeah, yeah. Uh, mary elizabeth really hated him because she made them film the scene where she gets resuscitated like ten thousand and then times. they ran out of film and Ugh. they didn't stop filming yeah. that was a thing and she's like she, oh, she yeah. yelled we are not animals at yeah. james cameron and stormed off and then the rest of the scene all of Ed Harris's sides in that where he's crying was done without her in right. the, in on set. It's a little snuff filmy because <laughs> yeah. what this made me realize is like James Cameron is obsessed with like someone almost almost filming somebody drown. Well, he's yeah, he's obsessed with water in a very elemental way that I do think despite all the masochism and or I guess sadism in this case is like I mean it's both for him. Well, but but I think it's like actually kind of 
compelling. Like, it's the kind of thing that makes me feel like, oh, James Cameron is like an artist as opposed to just like a guy who makes big blockbuster films. Because there's nothing that's objectively like lucrative about doing these like very complicated and dangerous underwater films and like always having to like build a tank and like do all this stuff. He's an obsessive maniac. He loves water yeah, yeah, he's, he like a, he's, he's a hitchcock but for people dying in water yeah because, I know. so it was also i was like oh if you made this now you would just cgi it and you wouldn't have to film it underwater actually and then i found out they filmed the second two avatar sequels that are coming out underwater yeah really and he pioneered a new type of motion capture that you can do underwater holy cow i read that on wikipedia i read that he was as a child really fascinated with shipwrecks and also that he he's just an adrenaline junkie and he he feels that everyone should push themselves to this limit and he's become a really you know enthusiastic conservationist and he runs a vegan school with his wife he's like a narcissistic conservationist he's like a colonialist conservationist and he he sees the sea as like a colony i actually saw Mm. well i I have i have an encounter to that okay okay (laughs) Well, I think that he genuinely thinks that there are like ghosts in the ocean. No, I. I oh yeah, yeah. He, it's, I, I think he thinks he can discover oh a being. Here's yeah. I yeah. have yeah. proof of this. I saw the IMAX movie. I think it's called ghosts Aliens of the, of the Deep. Aliens. Did of the, you see this? Yeah, also? yeah, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. At the IMAX at the Science Center, it was like a 3D IMAX thing he made where it was like very James Camerony. It was like pseudo fictional but real scientists. But he picked like the most adorable, diverse group of scientists that you've ever seen. He cast it. He cast it like a James Cameron movie. Um, And yeah, he goes to the bottom of the ocean with them because he wants to go to the ocean inside Jupiter, in Mm. in Jupiter's moon. Mm -hmm. And in Europa? Yeah, he wants to go to Europa and he like talks about it very angrily where he's like... (laughs) He talks about everything angrily. He talks about it angri- angrily, but he's Why like, "Why can't I go to Europa?" He's like, "I can." He thinks, okay, so the abyss is what he thinks is happening on yes. Europa yes. for real. And there is this whole thing about how there's like a little drill robot they want to send. He's like, "Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna like send this spaceship to Europa's moon, to Jupiter's moon, Europa, have it drill into the center, and then send uh, launch another robot that'll swim down with a camera." Mm-hmm. And, like, show us where the aliens that clearly live in the water are. Mm-hmm. But we can't do it until we fucking explore the stupid ocean to its full capacity, <laughs> I guess. Oh, I don't... I feel like he loves the ocean. I don't think he, he would ever say that the ocean is stupid. No, but he's, like, <laughs> mad that they won't just let him go drill on the moon, on Jupiter's moon. Because he's, like, so convinced. Well, because he's already broken some kind of record because he... For diving hours or something? No, it was... Or? Well, he was the only person to oh, make, yeah, like, a yeah. solo dive to the Challenger Deep, which is the deepest part of the Mariana Trench. And then he found new species... Of like a sea cucumber and a, a an amoeba, right? Which I well, don't know how that he's works. He's like an explorer. Yeah. He wants yeah. to be an explorer, yeah. and like he's angry that there are, they've run out of places for him to explore. They haven't though. There's still so much of the ocean that's unexplored. Yeah, seems like he's having a good time. With I can. That. I mean, I can relate to like wanting to live underwater. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's something cool with how genuinely compelled, like to and to imagine 
like a benevolent creature being in the abyss. <laughs> no, and it's um, interesting. Or at least like a neutral, like yeah. a kind of... This movie really does also kind of like cement all his weird Hitchcockian things where you're like, he doesn't just want to explore, he wants like a cool woman by his side, yeah. like reinforcing that he's the greatest man who ever lived. He wants to solve his marriage while going into the Marianas Trench. <laughs> Which is funny to like make a movie about that while your marriage is falling apart because yeah. you're making this movie that's so insane and obsessive. Yeah. And the only person who ever worked with him again from this movie is Michael Bain. Yeah. Who's the... He's the one who goes... He gets, like, the nerve... The disease. mustache he guy. He loses his mind from being he down gets, so deep He in gets the sea crazy. He was yeah. great. I thought yeah. he was a real babe also. Yeah. He was very kind of... Um, yeah, Freddie Mercury-ish, yes. I feel like. <laughs> I got kind of a Walton Goggins energy. Just kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a, ku- a kooky. But he worked with uh, Cameron again. But even the composer didn't work oh, with yeah. James Cameron mm-hmm. again. Alan Silvet- but, but like, the, honestly. The novelist, Orson Scott Card, who wrote the, like, book version, said he would never work with Cameron again. And oh, he, he had some scathing. He wouldn't want Cameron to adapt to any of his books. I don't know. You, I think you can do without Orson Scott Card. That's true. He's expendable. What? And <laughs> Alan Silvestri. What do you guys work. think about Avatar, the Avatar sequels? I have not watched Avatar. Oh my what? god. I tried to watch it because it's on Disney Plus and we as this is now a Disney Plus spawn. Uh give us money Disney Plus please. And uh I tried to and I could not make it past the first like 12 minutes. It was so uh, offensive to mine okay. eyes. I <laughs> also hard. don't care for it really, but yeah. I am you know, this made me be like he might have some crazy shit left in the pocket oh, yeah. for the sequels. I enjoyed Avatar fine when it when I saw it in it's, the theater. You got to see it in 3D. Right. Mm, I know. I missed the boat. I thought it might be appropriate to show my kids Avatar and that that would be a mistake. <gasps> yeah. Thinking were the they same scared? Thing. They g- were terrified. <gasps> I I did the same where I'm like um, I think this is good. It's about respecting Mother Earth. Mm, yeah. Watch this while I go into the kitchen and like make food and then talk on the phone with my mom or something for a long time so I'm literally paying no attention and by mm. the time I came back they were huddled oh under a blanket. And there was, I mean, it was like, there was offensive language, like mm-hmm. ho- uh, some homophobic slurs, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of like violent weaponry and stuff. And they were just like, this is like the worst thing we've ever seen. <laughs> this is terrible. I'm going to, well, just to cape for cats again, I want to say the reason cats is not like that is because the human faces are allowed to show through the whole time. Uh, and that grounds it in like, if but it, they kind of show it through an avatar. That's what they, do, they do. But that's it. like it falls into the uncanny valley so deeply. Like there's never a moment in Cats when you're not aware that it's Judy Dench with like cat fur sure. painted on, and that's what makes it work. Is you're like Judy Dench is here. Mm-hmm. It's not a night. It's not the Polar Express. Well, before we we end today, I just like on because this is a series about early CGI, and we haven't talked much about the water column or of uh, water dick you might <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is like kind of the the so the show stopping scene in this in the middle of it where uh the aliens have like learned to control water so they like kind of it's called a pseudopod i believe um just like an arm a water arm that finds its way through the submarine uh i don't think it holds up that bad the face thing is the only bad thing in it and that's like but that's like the most they could do at that time i think that effect also just became so played out 
You know that now when you right. see it, you're like, oh, Alex Mack. Right. But to, Alex Mack, it is Terminator 2. Right. Like, it's yeah. weird to think about, like, what was that like to see for the first time? Did it seem futuristic or did it feel kind of, like, janky? Yeah. I think, like, the camera effect when it's it's the point of view of yes. the pseudopod is actually And she reaches really out cool. and touches it. And then her, there's a little drop of water yeah. on her finger. <laughs> like, I don't know. I thought, the, I, I thought it was kind of cool. And that was, um, yeah, that was, like, the main CGI thing that, like, you know, everybody. The, it won the Oscar for that. Visual. Visual yeah, effects, I guess it was so. kind of a flop for a James Cameron yeah, movie. Yeah, it was not. It really? did not do well, but it was crit- critically, I think, pretty well received. It just didn't make that much money. And I guess Spielberg studied it because it was like the mo- for Jurassic Park mm-hmm. to be like, here's here's how we can do this for the yeah. future. And then they never made anything better than Jurassic Park. I was Abyss, just going to say, so. <laughs> I think Jurassic Park is m- far better than The Abyss, in my humble opinion, though. It's because been a while since I saw oh, it. Oh, it's so good, yeah. Emily. It, there's, we'll do good CGI month. Yeah, there's a solid 20 minutes of inside a submarine just kind of walking around in water well, that needed to go. It, it didn't how have you any feel purpose. about a submarine movie too like I've watched plenty of submarine movies right I just movies. feel like it's an inherently claustrophobic Molly. environment oh. compared it's claustrophobic, to say, Jurassic Park but it also there was so much just trying to establish relationships when the relationships were very thin you know you didn't yeah. actually between Bud and um, Dr. Brigman obviously there was a lot going on Michael Michael Bain Michael Bean question Mike, mark I think it's Michael sure. Bean I think I, it's Michael Bean we're gonna know. go with Michael Bean yeah. but uh, I mean he obviously has his own psychosis going on he has a few cohorts but the cohorts are the funniest part the co- yeah he has his like <laughs> lackeys where I'm just like why are you doing what this man is saying yeah, when he's obviously exactly. lost his mind it's never explained um, but I, there was so much of that in the middle between book ended by the, the like really wild you know yeah. Yeah. ending and the beginning that I just got pissed because I was like James Cameron this was so hard for these actors you you did not need all yeah. of this cut, cut one sequence cut one sequence you can tell that everybody almost died yes oh yeah Which, it looks dangerous it looks dangerous and you can just they all seem so exhausted they seem exhausted there's fear on their faces which works for the movie but again yes. that's what makes it like a snuff film yeah. is you're like yeah if you want your actors to seem terrified why don't you almost kill them just a bunch terrify of them for oh, yeah. real have you guys seen the stunt man no. no. Oh, it's really good. It's a movie about an actor who thinks the director is just trying to kill him. <laughs> is he right? Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, we should do that sometime. Yeah. Well, well, we'll be na- we'll be back next week talking about Lawnmower Man, and I'm so excited. I've I know, never seen it. I've never seen it. I'm oh my so God. scared. And if you have any suggestions for other early <laughs> CG. Uh, films that we should talk about give us a night call Tess, was that a callback to the say by the bell it was jesse spana thank you for thanks for noticing <laughs> please clap please clap um, um yeah but, if you've got questions about spooky fridges or other haunted appliances uh weird cgi um people almost dying in outer space or the bottom of the ocean or plants coming to life and taking back what is rightfully theirs give us a call a night call at 24046 night or send us a night email at nightcallpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on social media. Also, nightcallpod on Twitter, nightcallpodcast on Instagram and Facebook. And you can support us on Patreon if you're not already. We are at patreon.com slash nightcall. And you can subscribe at a variety of tiers to have an extended special edition yeah. <laughs> nightcall experience. Director's cut. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.
Night Call is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.